Boy, thank you, God, for that promise that because of Jesus that we are in your family and that we are children of God. I just pray now that as we talk about that concept today, even more, that that's what every one of us would leave with today is an awareness of your love for us. And you would make it possible through what Jesus did on the cross for us to be adopted into your family. And Lord, I just pray now for everyone in the room that uh, I know there are people here who have never said yes to Jesus, that today would be the day. They would just say today they're going to cross over that line and choose you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So I invite you to go ahead and have a seat. That'd be wonderful. And thanks so much for all that engagement there. Weren't the baptisms just awesome? Uh, that was just so exciting to see that. Uh, we have double that many second service getting baptized. It's going to be a lot of fun today as we get to do that together. So here we are in our last week of the series called Ordinary. And I love the just how much discussion this series has actually elicited. And I uh, got several more emails this week, and people are writing to me just about what do they think it means, and uh, I'm helping to come back to them and say, well, this will help if you understand this. And, uh, and I just really appreciate how much you want to get it, because you really realize there's something here. And as I shared with you on the first week, that I'm just going to reiterate, it's my belief and my proposition, the reason that I took a risk to do this series is uh, even that you know that even John said last week he was having a hard time to wrap his brain around because, but it really helped him to read the book called Ordinary. Uh, the proposition is this, um, is that when we really embrace this idea of being ordinary, that we can live the life that we want, that we desire, that's full and meaningful without the hype, without the constant push, the constant drive uh, that leaves us Worn out, leaves us tired, leaves us disillusioned, leaves us disappointed, leaves us discouraged. Uh, we can live a life, as we're going to mention in just a few moments, that's sustainable. You know, in this age where we're talking about sustainability, these, we realize how important that is. But not only is it sustainable, it's a life that leads to contentment. And so as we live as Jesus called us to live. So uh, I put the main idea at the top of your message notes. If you would, just go ahead and grab those out of your program. They look like this, and you can follow along today. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 6. And I just want to you know, say this. If you don't own a Bible, we love to give away Bibles. And so it's just something we love to do as a church because we want everyone who comes here to have a Bible in their home. So if your home doesn't have a Bible in it, we want to give you one today. So just make sure to stop by one of the racks as you leave and take a Bible as our gift to you today. Uh, if you want to, every week when you come in, uh, you can grab one off the rack and use it while you're here and just put it back. If that's something that would help you is just to have a Bible in your hand, that would be wonderful. But on your message notes will be all the verses we'll use today, and you can follow along there as well. So here's the bottom line right at the top of your message notes. I live an ordinary life by following Jesus. By following Jesus. So we just, first of all, we just right up front, just say that uh, Jesus came and he lived and he walked on the face of the planet, on the earth, and uh, as God. And, and as God, he gave commands. And so as we follow those commands, 
which actually means following him, becoming an apprentice of his, being a disciple, which is what someone who says yes to Jesus actually is a disciple, is that we can follow him and we can engage, just like he did, in ordinary activities that fueled his pursuit of the Father's will. And so if we're going to be able to do that, then we need to know what Jesus says and follow him. So he said this in John 14. He says, if you love me, so there's a you know, qualifier there, if you love me, and as I'm going to talk about today, if you're in my family, he says, you will obey my commandments, obey my commandments. So what we've been doing in this series, we've been looking at the basic commandment that Jesus gave uh, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? by the, you know, the wrong young lawyer, and because uh, he really wanted to know, out of the 613, what's the greatest one? And so Jesus surprised him, surprised many of us in his response, and he said this. He gave, actually, what they had been praying and saying out loud for a minimum of three times per day, uh, ever since the life of Moses, the Shema, and so uh, if you look at your notes there, Mark 12, this is what Jesus said. He says, the most important commandment is this. And then he says, listen, or that's what Shema, listen, Shema. O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And so what I said that day when I talked about that, what Jesus was calling to is a life where I love God, by giving God everything I've got everywhere I go. That's what the Shema is saying. I love God by giving God everything I've got everywhere I go. So it's all of my life. And then Jesus, and I shared this on the first week, so if you weren't here, you might want to go back and watch that. Uh, Jesus changes the Shema, and actually it's one of the sources that proves his deity, that he's God, because only God can change what they are, the children of Israel are reciting and verbalizing as a commandment. And he added Leviticus 19, 18, B on this. And he said this, then he says this, the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment is greater than these. And so we talked about that last week. What does it look like when we serve our world? So just simplify this. What God's calling us to do, what Jesus was guiding us to in our lives is so ordinary. And here it is, that we would love God, that we would love people, and that we would serve, that means go out and serve our world. Because you know, if we're just loving God and we're loving people, we can do all of that primarily through in these four walls. But he says, no, really, the sign that you love God is that now you go out and you serve the world. You give yourselves away so that those in the world can know Jesus and be comforted comforted by him as well. So unlike, this is what's so cool about this, unlike the push for more, bigger, better, the next big thing, the newest product, the you know, current trendy pursuit, which can leave us exhausted and unsatisfied, the ordinary life calls us to live a life as we look at Jesus that's sustainable and leads to contentment. And I just want to ask, would anyone like that? Yeah, that's exactly the life we want. That's exactly what we want from him. So we're going to talk today about ordinary prayer. And uh, this is one of those areas where people get confused. And so if you look, we're not looking at the Luke version, but in the Luke version, it, Jesus gave this prayer as a result of a question from his disciples when they said to him, just as the, rich, the, the young lawyer said to him, uh, that 
what is the greatest commandment, his disciples had observed him as well and said, teach us how to pray. And so he gave the Lord's commandment as a re- in answer to request to help us to know how we should pray. And I just think this is one of the most complicated areas of our spiritual walk, is, the, is how do we pray? You know, we think if I prayed with more force, if I used the correct words, or if I spent more time, then I would begin to see spectacular results. If I could just figure it out. And because I'm not seeing spectacular results, then there's something wrong with me. Or we transfer it, there's actually something wrong with God. That he didn't come through like I thought he would. So I'm just going to kind of clear that up today and walk through this. And we're going to look at some ideas about prayer. And actually the message warped and changed. And over you know the weeks that I was you know, first outlined what we were going to do, to, we got to it this week. And I realized I'm not going to cover the entire Lord's Prayer today because I don't have time. One, you know, one don't have time for that because you do want to get home today. I know that. It's a beautiful day. You want to get out and enjoy that. Uh, but also, uh, I just realized that I was going to leave out the part that is fit so well with this series that I really need to cover. And so we're going to back up a little bit before he actually gave the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk about how to pray authentically today. So what I want to do is I want to talk to us about how you and I can pray with authenticity. And then what we're going to do is we're going to move into a time of communion where we celebrate the concept that he is our father, that he has called us to be his children, and he has made us to be part of a family. That's what we're going to do as we celebrate communion together today. So, okay, the first idea is this, how to pray authentically. Don't make your prayers about performance or show. So if it's going to be you know, extraordinary, then it has to be about performance or show. But ordinary prayers are not about performance or show. And this is what he says in Matthew 6, verse 5. He says, when you pray, so he's assuming we're praying, okay? Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Okay, so he's talking about people who think that they have to do extraordinary showmanship, exhibit extraordinary showmanship in order for their prayers to be effective. Now, he uses the word hypocrite, and we, you know, we know what that means. We all know what hypocrites are, but it basically means that you're playing a role. You're playing a role that you are a play actor. So it's talking about those who would act, and they'd put on different masks, and then the mask would you know, change the character of the person on the inside. And Jesus is just saying, don't put on an act when you pray. Don't do that. Don't put on an act. Now, that word translated where it says where everyone can see them, that's actually where we get our word theater from. So hypocrite, don't be an actor. Then he says, don't pretend that you're in a theater. Don't make prayer to be like a theatrical event. Now, the Jewish tradition had built into it this whole system of prayers. And I don't have time to go into all of the prayers that they were required to pray every day. But they had series of prayers and specifically times that they were designated to pray. They were supposed to pray of one type of prayer five times per day. So five times a day, wherever you were, uh, whatever you were doing, you were supposed to stop, drop, and roll and pray, okay? That's the idea. So you're supposed to get into the prayer position, and you're to pray at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Now, what happened, though, 
is that over time, and as you know, our carnal sides come out, which they are going to, is that praying wasn't enough. Just praying wasn't enough. For some people, they decided that in order to be effective prayers, they needed to show everyone how spiritual they were by their prayer posture or the quality of their performance. You might want to write that down, the quality of their performance. That's what they were seeking, is to shoot for the highest quality. I don't know. Have you ever heard someone pray? And honestly, inside... You're trying not to judge them, but you're thinking, that's a lot of, feels like a lot of show right now. You ever heard someone pray like that? And you were thinking, that feels like a lot of show? Uh, well, I wonder. I wonder if I'm the only one who's ever watched or witnessed someone who prayed like that. And even though I might have thought it felt like show, I must have thought, that's it. That's the reason my prayers aren't being answered. I'm not praying like that person. And then at some point in the next few days... Did you try that over-the-top prayer? Am I the only one who did that? Only one. Am I the only one that has fingerprints on my TV from touching the screen? Okay, just want to just, just ask it, okay? So what does Jesus say to do to fight from being, uh, to make sure our prayers are ordinary and fight off the temptation to make prayer about performance? In order to get the respect of people. Notice this. It's about performance so I can get the respect of people. That's the object of this. And he says this. But when you pray, verse 6, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. So he's saying take yourself out of the middle. Put yourself away on the side. Don't worry about what people say because it's really not about earning the respect of people anyway. It's about talking to God and be with him. And basically what he's saying is this. I want you to separate yourself from you and your desire or your need or your sense that in your posture in prayer and the way that you perform in prayer that you are gaining value with others. So we have to separate you from the source, from others, so that you can be alone with God, so it can be just about you and him. I don't want you to be always distracted in your prayers by worrying about what others think. So I want you to be set apart. I want you to focus on God, who is your heavenly father. Basically what he's saying is you've been praying for an audience of many I want you to get alone and pray for an audience of one. That's what I want you to do. Okay, the second is this. If I'm going to pray authentically, I must not make it about rules or formulas. This is the backside of your notes, about rules or formulas. Okay, so Jesus goes on and says this. When you pray, don't babble. We just have a lot of fun with that, couldn't we? Don't babble. And really what that means is empty words. Empty words. And so, you know, all of you who've grown up with children, those of you who have young children who can't talk yet, you have this to look forward to, uh, is that, you know, that when they want something, it's just over and over and over and over, right? Chicken nuggets, 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 like a choo-choo train, chicken nuggets, chicken nuggets. So that's what it's like, okay? And so Jesus is saying, don't do that, on and on. And so the idea, though, that he gets through that phrase, on and on, the idea here is that it's not just babbling words over and over again, but they come from a place of anxiety, anxiety. That I'm babbling because I'm anxious, because I don't 
really believe that unless I perform for God, that I'm going to be able to get what I want from him. So it's coming from an idea of anxiety. And then he says, as, other, as people of other religions do. So we're talking about you know, people of other faiths who walk toward a God as they do that. And he says, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So the pagan religions, or that would mean those that don't follow God, the God of, Yah, the, God of the Bible, the God of Israel, had made prayer into a formula. And archaeologists have discovered uh, bowls and knickknacks that would go on walls. I don't think they call them knickknacks, but that's what we would call them, go on walls. And they, on them were incantations, uh, kind of magic formulas. And they believed that if they prayed the exact words or used the precise formula many, 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 many times over and over again, that this was the way to get an answer from their God whatever God they were praying to at the moment. One historian said it this way, religion in the first century Roman Empire depended on the correct practice of prayer and ritual and sacrifice. Knowledge of the correct verbal formulas was the key to efficacy and had to be enacted by religious professionals faultlessly. Even private prayer was formulaic, a recitation or incantation. And so, I just want to ask you, can prayer ever become like that for us, where we just say words? And many times those words are coming out of a sense of anxiety. Maybe we don't, we're afraid that if we don't pray them, that we're not going to get what we want, or things aren't going to change. Or we just simply get bored with our prayers, and we're not coming up with new ways to talk to God. And so as we talk to him, we're using the same words over and over and over again until they actually have no meaning as we give them. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> you know, we kind of do that with our prayers. We just kind of make them to be kind of a ritual thing as we do that. So I, I don't know about you, but I get emails. I, I read blogs. I watch television, and I hear these kinds of things. If you will pray this prayer, you heard this? If you will pray this prayer, or if you will use this pattern, and usually somewhere in there is a, some kind of plea for a gift, uh, and if you do that, it, then your prayers will be answered. It's basically, it's as if we believe that, if we, that God will act on our behalf when we follow the correct formula or by the quantity of our words. Remember the first one is about the quality of our performance? This is the belief that in the quantity of my words, I can force God to answer and do what I'm asking him to do. And Jesus goes on, though, and he says this in verse 8. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. So it doesn't need a lot of words. One time is enough. One time is enough to talk to God. And so I just say this as we wrap and we move into now what Jesus talks about being an authentic prayer is that when he's talking about this idea of these, you know, I've got to have, you know, prayers with hype, uh, that he's saying, we don't need to be thinking about, it's about the quality of my performance or the quantity of my words. That's not, what, that's not the focus of our prayer times. Our prayer times are all about something different. And so that's the third idea. I want you to write down here. We pray authentically when we make our prayer about a relationship. It's not about performance. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. 
So in those verses that we just walked through, Jesus used the word father three different times as he came at that. And so he was talking about the fact that prayer is not about performance. Prayer is not about you know, the quality of your performance or the quantity of your words. It's about the one you're praying to. It's about a relationship where we come before God as father. So here's the deal. Ordinary prayers don't need hype. Ordinary prayers don't need superlatives. Ordinary prayers are the ones we come before God as a child. As a child, we come before a mother or a father. They are not made, ordinary prayers are not made more effective by, you know, show. They're not made more effective by formula. They're made more effective when I'm talking to God as he is my father. Relationship. The main reward of prayer is to know God better. The main reward of prayer is to know God better. It's about a relationship. So then Jesus carries that theme over as he guides them in how to pray all the way through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read this to us. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Now, and by the way, he's not given another formula here. He's talking about how we would pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So in the time I have right now, what I want us to focus on are just the first two words. The first two words of the Lord's Prayer. And he begins with the word, our. I want us to think about why he would begin with the word, our. And I think it means that he's reminding us that each one of us is part of something bigger than ourselves. When we come to Jesus, he wants us to see that we are adopted into a family. That's what that word, our, signifies. That we are adopted into a new family family. He doesn't say, go into your prayer closet and say, my father. He doesn't say that at all because he knows that if it's all about my and me and I, then our prayers are going to be about all that I need, all that I want to happen. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to take our prayer life and not not have it be centered around what I want, what my needs are, he really wants us to be focused on the fact that I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of you know, a body of people who come to Twin Cities Church. I'm part of the body of followers of Jesus Christ who attend church in Nevada County. I'm part of the body of followers of Jesus all over the world. So it's a bigger picture here that he's calling us to do. We pray about us, about us. And when we know that we belong to a family, then our prayers will be a reflection of that truth. So that's the first thing. He says our, but the most significant word is the word father, father. So our signifies we're adopted into a family. Father, just simple, we're we're adopted by God. He's the one who adopts us. He is our father. So Jesus tells us to talk to God as father. And this changed the way that people saw God. You know, this is actually not ordinary. When he said to talk to God as father, if you look at what they were doing, but he wanted them to know that this is ordinary. This is the way you talk to God is as father. Now, in the Old Testament, they used the word father uh, several times, but it was used to always describe God in the national sense, okay? So it wasn't anything personal. There's no personal 
idea of God as Father in the Old Testament. But in the four Gospels of the New Testament, as Jesus was speaking, he refers to God as Father many times. And then Paul takes this whole idea and he brings up the word adoption and Father many times in his writings as well. Now what is so beautiful about this is it moves prayer from what it was, from being a religious act, to prayer is now a personal act. It's about a relationship between beings. So it's a reminder when we know God is Father that God is distant. I mean, not as, not distant, he's close. It's a reminder when I come to God as my Father that he's not angry, he's loving. It's a reminder when I come to God and I pray to him that God is not some force. May the force be with you. You know, as everybody's thinking about coming up soon in December. <laughs> He's not a force. He has a name. He's a being. So that word father is significant. Jesus is the first one to tell us to address God as father, and he calls him Abba. Now, there's a lot of thoughts about what this term Abba means, and, you know, we have the really sentimental thoughts that it means daddy and you know that we come as as a two-year-old when when daddy comes home from work and uh, two is probably not the right age probably more like three or four and daddy comes home from work and open the door and the kid runs out hands up daddy 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 no kind of sentimental view of what that word means but it's more than that it's more than that it actually uh, as we think about words that could have been used the word papa might be a better choice the word papa it's a term of relationship, but it's also a term of respect, both. See, we can't make God to be just our daddy, but God is also has to be the one we respect, not the one we're just in relationship with, but the one that we choose to say yes to and to follow and obey. Uh, I know this word papa and mama uh, that for my wife, uh, her mother is from uh, Mississippi, and so Kim grew up in Florida, and so they carried on these southern things, and so Kim calls her mother mama. And when I hear her mother talk about her mom, she calls her mama as well. And so when we t- use the word mama or papa, it's a term that signifies relationship, but it's more than that. It also signifies respect. And so when we talk to God as Father, it's about relationship, but it's also about respect as well. I'm going to follow him and do what he says. But here's the deal. When you talk to God, when you pray, he is excited to hear from you. He's excited. He's thrilled to hear from you. I know that when my cell phone goes off and it has the text, my text ding, whatever I have picked for my sound, when that goes off and I get a text, I look at my phone, and if it's one of my kids, I'll open it immediately because I want to know what my kids have to say. I want to know what they want. I want to know what they want to talk about. Now, I'm not unlike when I text them and I don't hear back for weeks. <laughs> you guys can relate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to know right away. Well, God is like a father, and so he wants to hear from his children, and he's eager and he's excited. In fact, if you wanted to look at the story of the prodigal son from the perspective of prayer, you know, the prodigal was the one that went away, and the father stood on the doorstep or the doorway and looked for his son every day until he saw him. If you want to look at this from the perspective of prayer, it would be the same way. 
is that God is standing on the doorstep and he's waiting for his children to offer prayer to him. And he's eager for it, just like I'm eager to hear that text ding from my children as well. And I just want to ask, do you pray that way? Do you believe that you have direct access to the father that only a son or daughter would have? It's about relationship, relationship. Now look at Romans 8. Romans 8 talks about Paul's idea of adoption and how God has called us to be his children. And he says this, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. So God's a loving Papa. And if we get this when we pray, prayer is what happens when people get that God is their loving Father. Now, I want to wrap this up and move us into communion now. And I'm going to do it in a strange way, okay? Just totally out of the blue. It's just strange. How many of you have seen the movie Nemo, Finding Nemo? It's popular. I hear they're coming out with another one. I'm all excited about that. Well, the story of Nemo, just kind of for those of you who were somehow asleep and didn't watch it, (laughs) it's about a little fish who gets caught and ends up in a dentist's office in an aquarium, and he feels he's lost and trapped and hopeless. But what he doesn't know is that his father has been looking for him, and he's gone to such extraordinary means to look for his son that the word has traveled through the fish, through the sea turtles, through the dolphins, and through the whales, and through the birds to the pelicans, to the pelicans. There we go. And so one of the pelicans flies to the window of the dentist's office to tell Nemo that his dad's looking for him. Let's watch. Hey, 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 hey. What's that? Ah! Well, that's uh, one way to pull a tooth. (laughs) Darn kids. Well, good thing I pulled the right way. Oh, Nigel, you just missed an extraction. Oh, has he loosened the periodontal ligament with the elevator yet? Oh, what am I talking about? Nemo, where's Nemo? I've got to speak with him. What? What is it? Your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. My father? Really? Really? Oh, yeah. He's traveled hundreds of miles. He's been battling sharks and jellyfish, sharks? all sorts of... That can't be him. Are you sure? What was his name? Uh, some sort of sport fish or something. Tuna? Uh, trout? Marlin? That's it. Marlin, the little clownfish from the reef. It's my dad! I heard he took on three. Three? Three? Three sharks? There's got to be 4,800 teeth. You see, kid, after you were taken by Diver Dan over there, your dad followed the boat you were on like a maniac. Really? He's swimming and he's swimming and he's giving it all he's got. And then three gigantic sharks capture him and he blows him up. And then dives thousands of feet and he gets chased by a monster with huge teeth. He ties the speed of a rock. What does he get for a reward? He gets to battle an entire jellyfish forest. But now he's riding with a bunch of sea turtles on the East Australian current. That's my dad. My dad is searching for me. Do you see the look in his eyes? See, folks, you may feel trapped, lost, forgotten, helpless, hopeless, but your dad went on a search for you. Your heavenly father. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on the biggest shark of all, the devil. And he went to the cross to show you the depths of his love, that he would do everything it took to bring each one of us into a loving relationship as sons or daughters 
of the Most High God, he gave himself. And so when we come to communion right now, that's what we're celebrating today. Jesus said that we would do this, that we would remember him. But today I want it to be about remembering that we have a father who went to the most extreme means so that you and I could be brought into his family. Those who were separated could be brought to him. So I'm going to invite our ushers, if they'll come forward right now, I'm going to ask if our lights would go down and we would dim the room and just be in a place where we could be in prayer together. Um, and so I'm going to read this last verse as they're coming forward on your notes. It says, First John, it says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. So they're going to come to their place. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. They're going to serve us. And so uh, after uh, I pray, I'll just direct what we're going to do. God, I want to thank you so much for your offer of forgiveness and cleansing. And if, if there's someone in the room who has never said yes to Jesus, that today would be the day that you say, yes, Jesus, I want to receive the free gift that you made possible when the Father sent you to the cross. I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. I want to be made whole. I want to be healed. I want to be restored. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. And Father, for all of us, that's our prayer. That's what we're coming now to remember what Jesus has done for us. And it says his name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to invite our ushers to serve. When you take a piece of the bread and a cup, hold it, please. And then we'll all have communion together. There's a verse on the screen that'll be about communion. And you can look at this if you want some inspiration as you sit there. Just let this be a time between you and God. Please don't talk to your neighbors. Uh, just let it be a time where you listen to him and what he has to say to you about his love for you.
Father, we thank you for this moment when we are before you, and I know we're in a large crowd, but it's just each of us, just individually right now, and collectively, because you are our Father. This is something you gave the church to do, that the church would remember what had been done for them, for us, that we could be made into relationship with you, that we could be made right, that we could be made uh, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And on the night that Jesus was going to die, he met with his favorite people, his disciples, in the upper room, and he had a meal with them. And the first thing he said was, I have so desired to be with you. I've longed for this moment. And so that's the idea of what he's coming with us, what we're coming to him today. He's longed for this. The father was standing on the doorstep waiting for his son to come home. He's longing to be in this connection right now each of us individually and collectively as a church. And he said, take this bread, eat this, remember this as my body, which will be broken for you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's eat this. And then he poured a cup, and he says that this represents my blood, which will be shed for you for the remission of sins as a sign of the new covenant. You are my children. Let's drink this and remember him. Because of our focus today of this being about our relationship with God as our Father. What we want to do now is we want to sing a song together, collectively, about God being our good, good Father. We sang this last week. It's a song that's been so meaningful for our church during this series. And I just want it to be our declaration today of our understanding and our realization of what God has done for us and how He is for us relationship with him. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, if you would stand. If everyone would stand and our team is going to lead us as we sing the good, good father. for answers far and wide 
God, we thank you that you are that kind of father. And as we've looked at today, that that's the God we pray to. That you don't want us to be performing. It's not about show. It's not about quantity of words that we speak, but it's just about a posture. You are Papa. You are the one who gave your son for us. You gave us all that we could have ever imagined in him and I pray now that you would help us to live for you help us to live lives as sons and daughters of the most high God our heavenly father and it's in his name we pray amen